Good evening. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Acts chapter 1. Tonight we are continuing our look at uh, spiritual disciplines. I keep getting it confused with what we're doing on Wednesday because they intersect so much, you know? Spiritual disciplines, day in the life, all that. And that's great. <clears throat> but tonight, uh, first I'll say last week, if you were here, uh, Ed Norton led us through the uh, spiritual discipline of community. And it was fantastic. And it was so needed to hear, especially for me. And tonight, we will be looking at the spiritual discipline of witness. And maybe you hear that, and you're asking, which do you mean? Witnessing or being a witness? And the answer is yes. It's both. So, in our time together tonight, we want to look at least at those two sides uh, of this spiritual discipline of witness in our Christian life. And to do that, I would like to look at this passage here in Acts 1. And so, I'm going to read the text, uh, verses 6 through uh, 11, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for just uh, a chance to be together in community. And we thank you for your word, Lord, that guides us as a community, as the church. Lord, would you make your word clear to us tonight and change us and challenge us and in just some small way make us more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. So my best friend, his name is Adam, and he lives in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He's from this area, but he moved there several years ago. And we've been friends for uh, 20 years, uh, yeah, right at 20 years. And we, uh, as you do with your best friend, you, you love and enjoy many of the same things. And one of our favorite things uh, we have kept uh, doing over the years to keep in touch and um, just to be in each other's lives is to regularly send each other music recommendations. Uh, usually this is done, you know, using a text link for uh, Spotify or Apple Music or something like that. And me and Adam, we've spent years together uh, going to concerts, and so we love music, and we, we want to share that with people. Uh, we send it back and forth, um, and, and it, without fail, uh, you'll, I'll get a link or he'll get a link, and, and under that link, it'll say, here's what it sounds like, and, and sort of describe it. Um, like one day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he says, it's kind of like yacht rock mixed with heavy metal. <laughs> and he was right on. Like, that's... If you can imagine, that's what it was. But, you know, he can, and I can, I can describe it uh, picture perfectly, and he can do so, and that's good and helpful by telling me what it is. But unless I listen 
right? Unless I immerse myself, unless I experience it, I can't fully appreciate it. He can tell about it, I can tell about it, but listening and experiencing, immersing myself is the only way to experience that. So our passage here in Acts 1, it finds the disciples with Jesus after the resurrection. And Luke has written Acts, he tells us here, he's written this uh, as a follow-up to his gospel to show all that Jesus did and taught. If you look uh, at verse 1 here in chapter 1, he says, In this first book, uh, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And now, uh, at the moment of ascension, Luke goes on, and I'm going to read these next several verses. It says, Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For, he, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in those verses then, Luke summarizes all that Jesus has done and said up to that point and picks up here, in verse 6, with the ascension. And Jesus is now wanting to very deliberately point his disciples to the mission of God in the world, the mission of the church, and that is to build his kingdom in this world. And he makes this proclamation to them. He says something about the spirit and power working through them to be, to be witnesses, he says, to Jesus. Verse 8, again, it says, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what exactly does he mean by that? As I mentioned a moment ago, me and my buddy, Adam, we, we love sharing music together, and his words and description, it's helpful because I trust him. I know him, but I have to listen to sort of live that experience out. And the disciples here, here are very clearly by Jesus called to be witnesses to him. And they must do the same. They must tell. They must share with their words the gospel truth. But, but also, they have to take it a step further and live faithfully to God's glory so that his kingdom might grow. These are how they are to be a witness. And I think if we're being honest tonight, which we are, we think of witnessing, either sharing our faith with other people, right, or actively living that out, and it's kind of scary, right? It's kind of scary. It scares me a bit, if I'm being honest. And, and fear and apathy are, are the enemies of a strong witness to Jesus. Fear keeps us from sharing our faith often. And apathy keeps us from living faithfully. After all, we know as good Reformed people, God's going to choose his, his own people, right? He's going to save them, is he not? Yes. But that's not all. If you think of the hostility that the disciples encountered regularly, I mean, I mean think about the life of Jesus up to this point. He was just killed. 
for who he was, for what he had done, what he taught, and how he lived. And today, we may not face that level of persecution uh, or to that extreme, but the world, as we know, is not necessarily, necessarily friendly to Christianity, is it? And by and large, the world does not want Jesus. And so it's natural for us to be fearful when we consider what it means to be a witness to Jesus as a Christian. This passage shows Jesus' own words and promise of his spirit that would guide the disciples, that would empower them to be his witnesses. And the same is true for us. The work of the church continues through the power of the spirit, and we don't have to fear. And so simply what I want to look at tonight is that we're empowered to witness to Jesus in two ways, by our words and by our lives. Just those two points tonight. And so the first thing to look at, uh, we, we witness through evangelism. How many of y'all tensed up when I said that? Evangelism. Well, if we focus in on verse 8, we see Jesus promise again to empower his disciples to be witnesses. And part of that witness is certainly through their words. This is how we communicate with one another, is it not? Their words. If you were to look at the, the Greek word for, for witness there, it's defined in a couple ways. One of those is one who testifies in legal matters. Or one who affirms or attests to something. And again, we hear evangelism and we get a little nervous, right? It gives us a little bit of anxiety to think about it, but when you see those definitions, the way that, this, uh, the, the, that Luke meant to uh, communicate that word, it's not quite as scary. Perhaps we can be calmed down a little bit when we realize that evangelism is simply testifying to the truth. Testifying to the truth. If you watch the news, uh, the most compelling thing a news reporter can do is, is what when they're telling a story? To have an eyewitness, right? Someone who's seen something. The most compelling stories have eyewitnesses. If you were to look, uh, step in or sit in on a court case, it's the same thing. Witnesses, they do something important. They establish truth. And so evangelism simply is testifying to the truth. And we can even take that a little bit further and say evangelism for us is simply communicating the gospel. It's simply communicating the gospel. I know most of you in this room, and I dare say that you all have enough knowledge and experience in the Christian life and of the gospel to give a, a faithful accounting of the gospel story. I believe that. Now, my confidence may not quell your anxiety at all, and I understand that, but you have that bit of knowledge that God can use. I remember probably uh, five or six years ago, we had just moved into Midtown, and we were ministering uh, at another church, and our pastor brought in a fellow from another uh, church that was in our sort of network, denomination, whatever, and um, he was speaking to our small groups, right? And what we were thinking was we're, we're going to learn how to minister better to our neighborhoods because we focus very heavily on where we work, where we live, and, and who we live around. Uh, and so I was like, great, this is awesome. This is why we moved here. Like, we're in, you know? And this guy was a rock star. He really was. He was so kind. He was so friendly and winsome. 
And then, and then he started talking about going door to door <laughs> and sharing the gospel and praying with people in person, evangelizing our neighbors and all of us, we tensed up, right? And you can just feel the tension and the squirming happening in the room. We knew the need was there, as it is anywhere, right? But actually sharing the gospel with strangers, really, you know? Like, that's what we were thinking. We're like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> you know, after a couple of weeks of, of, of that ministry, uh, it's sad to say that there were more complaints about that than anything else that year in the church. People were really pulled out of their comfort zone and didn't want to be there. Why is that? I mean, we're afraid. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be looked down upon. And so that's not an uncommon reaction when evangelism is brought up. But maybe we fear that so much because so much is on the line, right? We're, we're talking about people's souls, and that's not a small thing. And it's heavy. And you feel the weight of that. And we don't want to be perceived as a failure either, do we? I don't. We are insecure after all. What if I shared the gospel a hundred, a hundred times and no one responded to it? Does that mean that I failed? As a witness to Jesus? Well, I'll ask you another question. When Jesus, when the rich young ruler, for example, turned away from Jesus, did that mean Jesus was a failure? No, obviously not. One commentator put it this way. Sharing the gospel is successful evangelism. I'm going to say that again. Sharing the gospel is successful evangelism. Only God can convert a soul. Only God can draw a person to himself. Our job is simply to be a witness to the truth, to communicate the gospel and to do so faithfully. Here again in verse 8, Jesus promises the power of the Spirit to the disciples to be witnesses to the world. And that is no small promise. The same Spirit that takes our dead hearts and breathes life into them. He can do the same for any other, any other person. And so what's our job? Again, it's to faithfully communicate the gospel. That is evangelism. Be a witness to Jesus, to what he's done for you. I believe strongly that that is done uh, often through relationships, and often that takes time. But God can also certainly use any awkward and fumbling and, and just, you know, uh, stuttering communication of the gospel. He can use that, and often he does use that. But we must be willing to do it. After all, we are commanded. We're expected to do so. If you look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we're told to go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them. And what? Teaching them to obey. How would anyone know what to obey if they had not been told what it was, right? Evangelism is how we do that with our words. And know that your words, as you faithfully share the truth of the gospel, they're his words. He's speaking. He's using that. He's drawing. 
It's his power. And yes, certainly God knows and has chosen all those that will come to him by faith. But what an amazing privilege it is that we can actually be some small part of that. That we can be a part of the mission of God just by sharing who he is, what he's done, being a witness to his goodness. See, evangelism is expected of us. And that's kind of the scariest thing, right? It's important to know that it's a discipline that takes work. And it's something that must be nurtured. And and so I think one very practical way to do that is simply to pray and ask God to put people on our hearts and minds regularly to have spiritual conversations with. Pray that those conversations would, would come about. And pray for courage. It takes courage. Examine your relationships and pray regularly for that courage, for wisdom, and for opportunity to share. It's a discipline. And you're hearing this from someone who really struggles with it, okay? Really struggles with it. It's hard. I'm an introvert. <laughs> it's difficult. But it's, it's awesome when you have those conversations, when you see the twinkle in someone's eye, when you, uh, what my college minister used to say, when the, when the coin drops, right? And you get to be a part of that. It's such an amazing gift of God's grace to be a part of that. Last Sunday evening, and I did ask his permission to say this, Canon Alan, he shared with us something so simple. I'm not going to say everything that he said, but the thing that resonated so strongly with me, so simple yet so profound, is simply this. As we seek God through prayer, through scripture, through worship, through fellowship, his grace, it actually does change us. His grace changes and transforms us. That's amazing. My grandfather, former member here at Independent years ago, Dr. Ginn, we called him Poppy, right? Uh, He used to tell me, God, when you come to Jesus, he changes your want-tos. That's what he said. You're not wanting to do the things you used to do. You want to do the things that God calls you to do. And that's true. Grace molds and empowers us to be faithful servants and witnesses to Jesus by his spirit. And so we witness to Jesus through evangelism, whatever that looks like, wherever God leads us, our words. But also, we witness through living a faithful Christian life. It's certainly one thing to faithfully share the gospel um, with our words through the practice and discipline of uh, evangelism, but it's quite another to faithfully live out the gospel in everyday life. That's the hard part. Here the disciples in this passage are beginning their ministry with this commission by Jesus to be his witnesses in the world. And as Jesus tells them this, he ascends to heaven. And look at verse 9. I'm going to read through 11 again. It says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw as you saw him go into heaven. If you were to look in Luke chapter 24, there's a very similar appearance of two men in dazzling white array. There at Jesus' tomb were several uh, women, friends and 
uh, family of Jesus go to the tomb, right? And, and they were questioned there as to, who are you looking for? Why are you here? Jesus has risen like he said he would, right? And now in this passage, we see two men, angels, messengers of God, in robes appear to the disciples, and essentially they're asking, hey, why are you all standing around, right? The implication there is like, guys, get to it. Jesus has told you what to do, now get to it. He's instructed and empowered and commissioned you, now get to work. Be my witnesses in the world. As you go through the book of Acts, you see the disciples the work of disciples, rather, putting their faith to action. And I just want to share a few examples of that. If you look in Acts chapter 3, you see Peter and John, as they minister, actually physically heal a beggar in Jesus' name. In Acts 4, you see the disciples and the converts praying together in community. You see them giving freely to those in need, opening their homes and giving food and possessions, selling property, sharing the proceeds to the work of the apostles' ministry. If you look in Acts 5, you see people healed. Another instance of people healed physically and evil spirits cast out. The apostles being arrested, but not losing their faith. Not quieting their witness, but rather worshiping Jesus loudly and publicly. And later on, Stephen is stoned to death for faithfully witnessing to Jesus. And on and on and on. You see what's happening here, right? This early incarnation of the church of Jesus Christ, we see faith in action. Faith being lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit through self-denial, through submission to God. That type of life You've probably seen that in others. And I look around this room, and I know many of you that I see that in. It's something that's irresistible. Faithful Christian living is such a powerful witness to the goodness and power of Jesus. We live off of North Parkway, very busy street in Midtown, right? And often I will run down North Parkway towards downtown uh, to do a loop and come back home. And as I begin running, as I did this past week, down North Parkway, it doesn't take but a mile or so, and then it hits me. And I smell Cozy Corner Barbecue. <laughs> the unmistakable scent of Corner Barbecue. Robert knows what I'm talking about. The thing about it is, you don't need to tell me that that's what that is, right? I know that's what it is. The scent is so strong and so lovely that there's no question that that is Cozy Corner. And as you know, as you think about what I'm saying, the connection of smell and memory is so strong, right? You all have examples of that. I'll give you another quick one. Anytime I smell, this is weird, a peanut butter jelly sandwich and a banana near each other. It does sometimes. But I immediately think of being in preschool uh, at Colonial Park Methodist, sitting in those one-piece molded 70s curvy plastic chairs, right? It's instant. Like, I, it happens. It's very strange. But you know what I'm talking about. When 
we as Christians, when we live out, faithfully live out our life for the cause of Christ, it's unmistakable to one another and to those that are watching. There's a scent and there's a fragrance to that. Paul calls it the fragrance of Christ. And a life that has been transformed by Jesus, it will inevitably have his fragrance, right? It will. The, the fragrance of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness, goodness, you know, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these fruits of the Spirit. And so it's not just with our words that we witness to Jesus, but it's our very lives, how we interact, what are we putting forth, what is the scent. And here's the thing. One thing that a world that is hostile to the church often and Jesus one thing that they cannot argue with is a transformed life, is a witness. You cannot argue with that. The testimony of a changed life. Even more, you can't argue against a continual, faithful Christian witness. The world sees that and they see Jesus. And I hope and pray that's true of me. And I hope and pray it's true of you. So as we consider... This discipline of Christian witness, remember, it's not just our words. But it's also our lives that make an impact in this world for Jesus. And none of that is, a, is possible apart from the Spirit of God, just like it was for the, the disciples then, as it is now and forever will be. The Spirit is the one that leads and empowers. God has chosen things that are weak and foolish to the world, hasn't he? to bring people to himself. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that we have this message of reconciliation to give to the world, both by our words and our deeds. And so I pray that God would make evangelism, and I would ask you to do the same. Pray that God would make evangelism, and remember, that's simply communicating the gospel faithfully. Pray that he would make that a discipline in my life and in your life whatever it looks like. And more than that, that our lives would be a continual, faithful testimony to the goodness of Jesus in our actions. I want to close just by reading a little passage from 1 John, and then we'll close. 1 John 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I hope that our joy can also be complete as we share this message of life. Right now, you watch the news, you know all that's happening all across this world. The division, the fracturing, and the hurting. And people are really in need of hope. And we have that hope. And we can share that hope. May we do that to the glory of God.
Let's pray together. Oh God, we, we just humbly ask that you would empower, strengthen, and give us courage to be faithful ministers, all of us. Lord, you've called us to shine as lights for you. Would you help us to do that? Whatever that looks like, Lord, would you give us relationships, opportunity, and courage? All to your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.